Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. And welcome to New Books in Psychology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Susan Greylock Yusum, the host of this channel. And today we'll be speaking with Dr. Marisol Dandrea about her new book, The Power of Artistic Thinking Think Like an Artist and Innovate. Marisol is a visual artist, an illustrator, an author, and a multidisciplinary researcher. She holds a doctoral degree in leadership, higher and adult education from the University of Toronto and she currently resides in Canada. Marisol, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. I wonder if you can begin by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your research and your interests. Right. Uh, I've been, I've been a visual artist for a long time, perhaps 30 years. Um, I was always, I wanted to be a cartoonist, but you know, one of those things that when you're a little and you tell your parents and they say the arts don't pay, so you have to think about a different career. Uh, so I put that behind the, you know, behind me for a while, but once I worked at the University of Toronto for about, I was in five, ten years, I, uh, met many interesting people, including artists. And then I met this academic professor who inspired me to to delve myself into the arts. And I don't know, you know, Richard Florida, and he's uh, one of my biggest uh, inspirations because I worked for him for about four years. And he encouraged me to to conduct research in the arts. So that's, I set out to do that. Uh, I was just, I started by exploring um, what is a starving artist? What does it mean? Is there a starving artist? So I began with that question, and that got me into the PhD program. <laughs> uh, after I, uh, during the process of the program, I needed to find my own research question, a new research question, because a PhD entitles, like as many of you know, we need to uh, discover new, answer to new, answer new questions find the questions and answer them in an academic and profound way. Uh, Therefore, I set out to study the decision-making process of arts funding in Canada. And that was a very sensitive topic for many of my participants, in particular the the councils, because uh, they didn't feel comfortable answering to those questions. But through the, you know, adventure, I got to talk to many artists, to many of them, about 50. I know just artists, but also leaders. And most of these leaders had an artistic background. And I started to realize, connecting the dogs, that's one of the chapters of the book, and I realized that I think they had something, there were some similarities. So I started to take note. I started to take note and... I always wanted to write, and you know, I'm a big arts advocate as an artist myself. And so I started making notes and everything came into place. And that's how this book uh, came to life. 
basically. It's just from the inspiration from talking to artists based from my past dissertation. Yeah. And you, you uh, describe yourself as a social artist. What does that mean? I'm interested in justice, social justice. I'm interested in freedom. I'm interested in freedom of thought. I feel like people don't, we're not taught to think freely as children. And that's have been one of my major concerns uh, because I feel like uh, uh, they fit you, right? The school, the education system, they want you to think in a particular way or to do things that because it's good for the economy. But they forget about what our passions are, what we really uh, like to do. Nobody asks us, you know, this, because I remember, let me skip a little bit, Back when I did high school here, when I came to this country, to Canada, I had to do high school all over again to, in order to get into university. And I wanted to be an engineer. I was very creative and I was very good at math. And the teacher told me that there was no jobs in engineering at the time. So, you know, and that stuck with me for a long time. And uh, me mentoring in my career path, I always encourage people to follow their passions because there is no other way, right? So that's, that's how I feel about education and that's the kind of artist I am. I try to express myself with the issues that affect me. I started painting, for example, one of my major artworks uh, was exhibited in the gallery at the University of Toronto. I was called Bellissima. I was women doing housework. And how how they navigate the whole and you know leaving your career because I stay home and I was a stay home mom for four years, so I uh, that's the kind of artist I like to share, um, you know, being open minded, uh, address social justice, uh, fairness, equality of work, uh, housework. Why does the women does my question is why women does more for the whole housework. Uh, how, when, how are we going to change that? So I express that through my paintings. And so that's how I, that's how, that's why I call myself a social artist. I'm interested in the human, in human beings, <laughs> how they behave, and justice, social justice behind all of that. So what inspired you to write The Power of Artistic Thinking? I, I wanted to share with the world, whoever is interested, uh, to, you know, to share my concerns that I had throughout my lifetime. Uh, I'm not just an artist in the daily life because I met many people who felt stuck in their jobs, in their life, and they didn't do anything about it and they didn't know how to go about it. So this book is to open your eyes, to, to think about the new possibilities. Uh, it's not me telling you what to do. It's me just sharing what I've been through and how did I navigate it? Because we all face obstacles, negativity, uh, uncertainty. And I think this would help me navigate through all that negativity. And I just wanted to share it, what I learned. And what I found the most powerful part of this book is about the philosophy, and uh, we can talk about that later, but uh, about, you know, self-transforming. How do we transform? How do we make a better... It's not just about, you know, it's about ourselves. How do we improve? 
how do we become a better human beings? Are we happy? Uh, is this not about our happiness, but it's about appreciating the arts to lead us to change and innovation. I thought it was interesting when you mentioned um, you were having a difficult period and you actually had a dream about the, the name of the book. Oh, yeah, I read that. Thank you. Yes, yes, I had a dream because uh, I was struggling with academic, uh, my academic career. Uh, so I, was, I left my job and, and at the university because I wanted to explore new things. And I felt that I was in an environment that I wasn't allowed to for the most part. Right. Especially when you have a job, you know, nine to five and you are tired and you got to get come home and do housework and take care of all the other things right at home. It's, it's double to a job. And so I didn't have time really to pursue my passion. Um, so although I kept painting, uh, it wasn't enough for me. I needed to write. So, yes, I was thinking about what do I write about? So I, I read and read and read and, you know, and looked through my transcripts from my previous interviews with the artists and reflect. And all of a sudden, one day I just woke up and I connected all the dots. And I was, yeah, it's the power of artistic thinking. And my family tells me that I'm always thinking <laughs> because that's what artists do. <laughs> right? So that's, that's how it came, up, came about. <laughs> In the um, in the book, you broke you break artistic thinking down into these um, six very distinct aspects. So let's I'd love to walk through them, and then you can describe them, and then it'd yeah. be great if you want to share any tips like you do in the book right. for listeners on how they can engage sure. with those. Yeah. Um, but maybe first, what is artistic thinking? So artistic thinking is a, a term that I define. Uh, it's not design thinking. Design thinking is more about ideation, creating a product. Artistic thinking is about yourself, creating a new you, or yourself creating something new. So for me, artistic thinking is a process. It's a combination of things that begins with passion, right? Uh, then develops into imagination, then observation, visualization, and then you've got to put action into all those things. It's not just about daydreaming or thinking about it, but you've got to put some action and try to innovate. Not just innovate something, but innovate yourself and make a change. And that's what I call in the chapter with a self-transform chapter. Yeah, that's a good that's, distinction. That's not uh, design thinking. People might get those confused. Design thinking is more of a, a more process oriented, and this right. is more of a approach. Approach, exactly. Thank you. Well, I think one of the things um, it seems like, and this is maybe is what you mentioned earlier that inspired you myths that we have in our cultures about artists, mm -hmm. and that maybe artists are born being able to think a certain way and some of us aren't. And I think you make that case in the book that, you know, we're all born with certain capabilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? I believe we are born like as artists. We are human beings, intelligent human beings. Uh, it's just a school system that tells us not to be creative. They teach us as a kids. I mean, I remember seeing, I did research on my own children when they were little, and uh, they were super creative, and I made sure, my duty was to ensure that they kept that creativity with them, 
that I didn't lose that and until now I push it. Because uh, the system, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Sir Ken Robinson, he fought for that and uh, he's also quoted in my book and uh, the education system have a way to, you know, I think mainly in high school years to close those doors. And even the whole government, the whole society, because the arts all make money and it's all based on an economic agenda. So I decided to enroll my daughters into an art school for high school and they have thrived. And that doesn't mean they want to be artists. One is pursuing uh, science, the other one just wants to be a record producer, but uh, you know, they think differently. They are like different human beings. They are take criticism very well, they are open-minded, they listen, uh, and I have seen that from, uh, from students. So yeah, so and I, don't, I don't think our society values those skills because again, right, everything is economics. And that's another case that I try, I'm trying to make in this book. Well, you know, the government doesn't want to pay for it, but there is something that we can do for ourselves, right? No, that's true in the U.S., that's true in Canada, too. There's not uh, Yes, it's all no. over the world, right? All over the world, right? And then uh, the arts are not respected because when I was painting a lot, all my family wanted a free piece of art. Everybody wants me to fill their walls with free art, right? <laughs> it, was, it takes me a long time to do. <laughs> so it's, it's something that we need to change, right? But I, I know it's going to take time, but it starts with one. Uh, so, but I believe, I strongly believe it starts with ourselves. We want self. We cannot change other. We can change ourselves, no matter what, if we want to. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for parents who might not be able to enroll their kids in an art school, how they can help cultivate that when they're raising their children? <gasps> yes. Take them to museums, take them to art festivals. I used to drag my kids to the festivals. They used to complain and they used to cry. But now they are teenagers and they thank me. They thank me because they have developed that. Right? It's the same as doing math. I think art is another, uh, I think art is a necessity uh, because this world is so exciting. Uh, things when I look around them and look at the government, what they do, you know, how they make decisions, everything is so linear, right? And everything is uh, mainly for their own pursuit of economic agendas, uh, rather than society, uh, fulfillment, happiness, uh, enjoyment, right? They, they want, for example, if they give you money for an art program, they want you to prove that people are interested. But how could you do that when you haven't given society from the early age, right? Had you, you haven't given the arts to them, how would they, right? So it's that dichotomy. I also teach uh, children, I used to teach before the pandemic, I used to teach Spanish to children, grade uh, JK to grade eight. And I made my own duty to yes, teach them about the arts and teach them and just merge language and the arts, which was fascinating. I work really well and I'm so proud of that. Uh, so yeah, so 
it's us as an individuals that can make a change on small little steps, I think, right? Into the love for art. But yes, take your children to museums, take them, and even if they don't agree with you, they will eventually. They will. Because, sorry, if you are not exposed to something, you don't understand it, right? But once you are, there are so many things in the museum you can enjoy. There's something to enjoy for everyone, for example. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense about exposure. It's also interesting you mentioned that um, the, the exposure to art and artistic thinking has helped your children to be more open to criticism and more like comfortable being getting feedback. Right, right. They are. They are. And uh, we have a wonderful relationship. Uh, they're teenagers, of course. They don't agree with everything you say, but they listen. They are very good listeners. They understand uh they thrive in the arts, although they study music. I have them engage in music as well. I'm not a musician, unfortunately, but I have them uh, enroll <laughs> when they were little into music. Uh, so they're good artists, but, uh, you know, they, whenever, uh, I'm much older than them, so whenever I had a problem, I seek their feedback because they have so many wonderful ideas and uh, things that we, you know, we have been constrained to develop. So I'm going to rely on them. And it's fantastic. It is fantastic because I think it starts again with the parents developing again, the next generation of thinkers, right? So it's up to us, really. (laughs) One of the... um aspects of um, artistic thinking you call out is passion and obsession right and um and i'd love and it's one interesting thing you do in the book is you pair up the different um ideas so passion and obsession is the first one you get into and i'd love to hear um your thoughts around that especially there was a story you tell about the new yorker artist that i thought was really interesting as an example of the power of passion and dedication um, the cartoonist new yorker that submitted uh his um drawings like 2,000 times. So that's part of being obsessive. <laughs> Our good obsession, I discuss about passion. Is passion, I know that we are all passionate about something. So we all know what passion is, right? So what's your desire? What do you want the most in your heart? What makes you happy? But then you got to put some action into your passion if that's what you want. And what I discuss in the book is there are two kinds of obsessions. One is the harmon- uh, harmonious passion, and another one is the excessive to the stream, and you don't want, <laughs> you have to be careful with that. It's good to be excessive in terms of achieving your goals and using your time wisely and not hurting anybody, of course. But, for example, give, let me give you an example. Uh, I, when I was a man, I was working, I went to work nine to five. I have to, I had extra work that I bring from um from work uh, which i will do in the weekends i have to do the housekeeping in the house so i will excessively paint at night time so i will have very little sleep i will stay awake until 4 you know 3 a.m 3 4 a.m just to work because that's something that i really needed to do that's something that I really wanted to accomplish. I know it wasn't going to be uh, forever, but I can tell you that I can still do that because I, I am passionate about it. 
And that's the difference that I mean when it's successive, right? To the level that you find the time to do it. When I talk to people and they say, oh, well, I don't have the time. How do you have the time to do it? I want to do this. You will find the time. No matter what, you will find the time to do it. So that's what I mean by obsessive passion, by obsession in the book. Mm-hmm. By finding that way. There is always a way. <laughs> Tapping into your passion is the way. When the energy follows. Exactly. Exactly. Next section you talk about is imagine and believe. I'd love to hear you talk a little more about that, especially why those two are connected, imagining and believing. Right. Um, some, uh, I am a big Disney fan. Because <laughs> of the story when our kids were small, that was our holiday vacation. I learned about Walter uh, Lies Disney, a uh, history. And uh, the vivid example that I have is that he imagined, how did he imagine all these cartoons? And how did he believe in it? How did he believe in Mickey Mouse? How did he, why did he believe? You know, nobody. He got a lot of uh, rejection. And how was he able, this because he, how was he able to um, create something and make it believable, imagine it, create it and believe, and for people to believe it. He just did it, right? So he believed in it. It's about believing in what you imagine. So you, sometimes we don't know we are constrained for our thoughts, our own actions, our own lives, busy life. So we need to take some time to reflect and imagine things. And imagine impossibilities. I just make it come to life, right? And believe it. Believe in it. Because if you don't believe it, you just will forget that imagination. I will be. So it's just sort of, I connect it to, in one word, I would say it's a reflection. It's a reflection process of what you imagine to be. That makes sense. Because yeah, if imagining something is one part, but you have to believe it to, in order to hold that imagination through naysayers right. or people not, you know, saying it doesn't make any sense or it's never going to happen. You have to right. just believe in it. A current example, Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk, he's a contemporary example of this book. At that time, I didn't read about him, but now I would love to incorporate him. Uh, look at him. He's imagining us living in Mars. And he's going to do it, right? So that's a vivid example of what I'm trying to accomplish in this book. <laughs> well, then that makes total sense. Imagine and believe. And then the, and then you talk about observe and connect. I think right. that was really interesting, especially when you, um, well, yeah, say more about observing and connecting as oh. part of artistic thinking. Yeah, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, I love that example. He used to throw a sponge filled with paint on the wall. And he used to uh, imagine figures, imagine his work, connect the dots. So he will observe. And I think all artists, we are, we are very uh, keen observers. Uh, we, think, we think different, not different, I wouldn't say. Yeah, we are all different. We all think different. But it's a mastery of connecting 
bioxerping. So it's not just uh, even when you go shopping, it's not just looking at the price. Let's say, let me put it just in plain terms. It's not just looking at the price. Oh, it's a pretty outfit. But what is that pretty outfit comes from? I always ask myself, where does it come from? Who made it? <laughs> and is it worth it? Right? Uh, yeah, if, even if I could afford it, like I still question it. Then you observe all around you. Uh, another example I think more related is I wrote most of my book in a coffee shop. And I started to observe people around me, how they behave, uh, what they did, um, not just indoors, but outdoors. And I incorporated that in my book because I found it fascinating. I saw this lady um, on a bike arguing, arguing with, I don't know, with a man, perhaps her husband, she had a baby or not. And uh, it distressed me that they had the baby on the stroller and they were smoking in front of the baby. Uh, why is that important? Oh, it made me think about, is that allowed? Should there be policies that protect children from parents that smoke in front of them? Things like that, right? So it's different scenarios. And, and that's what I mean by observation. It's observation, questioning, connecting, right? It depends on the moment where you are or what you are trying to accomplish. In my case, was writing, writing stories. So with that sense, I observe, or with that end. So if someone was going to try to cultivate those qualities in themselves to become um, more of an artistic thinker, mm -hmm. that's the kind of an exercise you could do, actually. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, observe. And, yes, thank you. Yes, exactly. Observe and question it. And, you know, probably put it into pieces, into different pieces and try to connect it, and why is the matter at the end? And maybe, uh, because uh, all those reflections, all those thinking patterns, all those connections, it helps you, it helps your mind, it helps your brains, you exercise them, right? And you never know, you might have your next book or your next product <laughs> along the line, right? Because that's what every innovator has done in the past, right? Is that similar to the way that a Montessori school is taught? Is that part of the methodology in Montessori? Exactly. Exactly. That's what they use. That's the, that's the approach that they have become famous for. Right. Um, what about visualize and ponder? Oh, visualize. Okay. Uh, observation is a way of seeing the world. And visualizing is the act of forming um, forming images, right? So how do you form image? You have to reflect. And as a painter, that's how, I, that's my process. I visualize it. It doesn't come out the way that I have it visualized, but it's a starting point. The outcome doesn't have to be the same. So, so but it requires a lot of reflection and pondering to visualize the outcome. Uh, one great example 
that I love is when I watched the movie about Pelé, the soccer player. And his father, they were so poor to buy a soccer ball. And they, his father would make him train with mangoes, the fruit mangoes. And uh, it's, it was amazing because in his mind, he would have to visualize that it was like soccer ball. And that's how he was trained as a, as a child. That's how he was trained soccer, actually. Which I find that amazing, and that's what I mean by visualization. Also, in athletics, I met this um, um, swimmer who visualizes winning. He visualizes that he's already at the end of the pool before beginning the, the race. And that's what I mean by visualization. And it's very helpful to visualize the, the outcome as well, not just... For me, it depends, right? Depends of your uh, where you are and what you're trying to accomplish. In the in the book, you talked about um, what happens in the brain during visualization, and I'm curious if you have anything to say about that, like the, the brain of an artist and um, what happens during the artistic thinking process inside of the brain. I won't go into detail scientifically because there's a lot of literature on that. But basically, what I'm trying to, the message that I'm trying to convey is that there are places in our brain that need to be exercised and practiced, and they become ecstatic when we don't use it. And that's part of the artistic thinking that most of us forget because we live in a routine. Most of us live in a routine world that we do the same thing every day. And um, most often we don't want to break that routine. So part of, I don't think our brains are utilized fully because we are capable of doing more than just that. So that's the main message. That I'm trying to people, sometimes people say, I'm just not a visual thinker. I just don't see it that way. How could, what would you say to someone like that to help them overcome that or try to cultivate that part of themselves? I would say, um, have you tried? Have you tried doing it? It's try because people, uh, I mean, they will have to, will, the idea of artistic thinking is that the individual will need to have that impulse a little bit to try because nobody can force it on you, right? And you need to try. Be open to experience. That's part of being also an artist, to be open to experience and try new things. Um, I've been told a lot that I try so many things, <laughs> and I do, because I'm always thinking about what am I going to do next? What is next? What am I going to learn next? Uh, what am I going to share next? Um, so I'm always thinking, but I know for a fact uh, that some people don't, and they don't want to think, right? So it's but they don't realize that by doing so, we are letting others to think for us instead of thinking for ourselves. So it's important to try. I mean, if you want, if you're happy where you are, kudos uh, to you. But uh, if not, think a little bit and try it, right? It won't hurt. On the contrary. That's a very good point, actually, about if you don't do it yourself, it will happen. Huh? To you, yeah. right. Well, the the, um, the fifth um, point that you make about artistic thinking is 
cultivating the ability to learn and explore. And I think this is really interesting. You talked a little bit about how children have this capability. And I'd love to hear you say more about um, learning and exploring and how we um, how we can cultivate that ourselves. Right. It's, it's about keeping your education going. Doesn't have, you don't have to go to a formal school, but keep learning. Keep learning, keep reading. Um, I come from an educational uh, school, a background. Uh, my, my PhD is in education. So uh, I'm motivated to learn. Uh, and it's, it is important. Uh, that's something uh, that the school system sometimes fails to teach children. Uh, we prepare, I feel sometimes that we prepare society for to be a soldier rather than thinkers and innovators. Right, and uh, we don't uh, really um, we don't we just give them what they need, but we don't open the we don't open further and say there's more to it. The world is not just this. There's more, and just read, read, and everything, every um, experience I had, every question I had, I found the answer by reading books. <laughs> Because there is always someone that knows more than you and have done the work and have done the research. We cannot know everything. And we can learn every day from someone. So be open to learning. That's the first step, right? That makes me think about visiting museums too, because you make the point that you don't actually have to practice art. You can also just engage with art by going to galleries and museums. Exactly, exactly. And that's a big match. It's just a little bit of of time. But it is important. It's rewarding uh, for for the future of everyone, right? Well, the, um, the last part that you bring up about artistic thinking in the book is practice and repeat. And I think that was really interesting because it, it actually made me think about this myth that we seem to have that artists are just born in this creative and they don't actually have to work at their art or their practice. And yeah. I think you make that point really strongly that practicing and practicing is critical. It's important. Artists work hard, really, really, really hard. I've seen them. Uh, they have two, three jobs. I do have so many jobs. <laughs> uh, you need to practice if you want to uh, be better at what you do. Uh, there's no other way around it. There's no lack in one way. It's just practice. And i seen that because my uh, my daughters play music and I've seen them constantly practice and practice and it's a never ending right it's, it's, it never finishes I mean the more you practice the better uh, you are right so it's a constant it's for everything it's for everything not just for reading a book for learning music for learning art making a meal cooking dancing playing a sport you know speaking uh it's practice is the key. I think that's challenging in our culture. I think we have a very impatient culture. Right, <laughs> right. That we want things fast and now with social media, everything is our fingertips. But think about it. We are so great at social media now because we've been practicing. <laughs> 10,000 hour rule. In our 10,000 hours on. 10,000 hours, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Malcolm there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
it takes discipline as well, and that's hard to follow. But that's why it's important to connect everything, to connect the passion, because if you don't have the passion to do something, it's really hard to practice <laughs> something that you are not engaged with. So you need to be engaged. You present the book fairly linearly, but really the point I think you've been making is they're all just interconnected all the time. The passion, imagining, observing, practicing, learning, right. visualizing. Right. And the results are innovation, perhaps. Self-transformation, for sure. And that's, that's my main message. Right. So the, the benefit of cultivating artistic thinking is actually transformation. Right. Right, and at, and at individual level in particular, yeah. And also, I think you said something I thought was really lovely that um, expanding our, um, enlarging our view of the world, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting way to think about the shift that actually could happen when you're transforming the way you think and approach, that you're actually expanding your sense of the world. Right. Right. It, it is important. It is important because we need we live in a complex world. Uh, so how do we do that? You know, we cannot have do you want people really to constantly make decisions for your actions, or do you want to take your own? You know, think about your own actions and responsibilities and goals, and just make it happen. So that's the core of the of the book. So I just try it. <laughs> Try it. And I mean, artists are, well, I am an artist, a little bit biased, but I interview so many. And again, they are really, really hardworking people. They don't get paid much. You know, they are always on the line. And uh, But nothing stops them from keeping their passions alive. Nothing has stopped me uh, of no painting, of no writing. I keep doing it and I will keep doing it. Um, thanks and I think that connects to failure because you mentioned that as well Um, embracing failure is you know a part of the process exactly uh, failure I would say is more uh, mistakes we all make but it's not a failure it's just a learning process right it's part of learning part of growing up and learning and uh, so how do we fix those mistakes we gotta think about it and we're gonna connect the dots and we gotta visualize it and we gotta go through the process if we are stuck and try to learn from them right so i i believe uh, all the chapters of the book like you have mentioned greatly connect all they connect into this wonderful artistic thinking thought and how you can self-transform just by thinking about it. <laughs> I think that's a really great reminder, especially in our culture when you're talking about failure. I don't think, especially kids today, I'm not sure we set them up very well to understand that making mistakes is just part of the process right. and that it's okay and that's a good thing. It's just part of yeah. your transformational process is yeah. making mistakes. It is, it is, right? But yeah, but the artistic process are. Uh, give you different possibilities of resolutions, different different ways of solving your problem. Uh, it's not just one linear answer to questions. 
Was there one, um, was there an artist you interviewed um, that a story that sticks out in your mind of their own story of transformation? Uh, many artists, but I like to discuss about my favorite professor. And he was one of my thesis supervisor for my PhD. And he taught me so much about art. He's a uh, philosophy of art professor, Mark Kingwell. And he taught me so much about the power of the arts. Um, and he's the one who taught me about Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, and how the arts are so powerful that even at that time, he will advocate for the arts. And he's the one who says, live your life as a work of art. Right? So, yes, uh, there are many philosophers, but this is the philosophy professor that I learned the most. And art is a gift. And this is this book for me also is a gift. It's a gift sharing with sharing with everyone, artists or not, of how artists really think, because this is the pattern. And even they don't consider themselves artists, so many innovators, because I work at the university with so many professors, and the most creative of them had an artistic background. And that's how they became successful. Live your life like a work of art. Live your life like a work of art. Well, that's, I know we've taken a lot of your time. That would be a nice place to end on. But I have one other um, sure. question for you. I would love to know what you're, what are you working on now? Or what are you thinking about? Now, now I'm working and uh, I received a grant from the Indiana University. And I'm working on um, diversity uh, issues and leadership. Um, I'm working on that. And also on the side, I'm working on a book. And my next book is going to be about diversity and social justice in the arts. In the arts? In the arts, yes. That's exciting. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for the thank time today. It's great talking to you and hearing about your new book. Thank you. It was great talking to you. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.